0: 1 Corinthians chapter fourteen. If you have a Bible, why don't you um, grab it and you can turn to um, that chapter. <clears throat> um, what? This is a question for you. What should church gatherings look like? I'm sure if we went around the room, we would all have opinions on what should happen when we gather. And listen, probably for two thousand years. Churches have agreed and disagreed over what exactly should take place when we gather as the church, right? I mean, there's the age old that I don't think is much of a debate anymore. Well, when the church gathers, we should only sing hymns or... We should only sing choruses or we should sing both, or, right? That was this big worship war that happened 30 years ago or whatever. But there was people who've had very strong convictions. That's what we should do when we gather. Only hymns or only nod or, or, or back and forth. Actually, if you go um, culture to culture or city to city or country to country, um, worship gatherings look very, very different. <clears throat> um, uh, a number of years ago, Uh, There was a group of us that went to Zambia uh, for a month, and we uh, were involved in a a worship service, Um, and there was a lot of dancing, which some of you would be like, Satan, right? Um, And I even, as like a North American, you know, white outsider, I was kind of like, are you allowed to move your hips like that in church? That seems a little wrong, right? But that was part of their worship, and like a lot of singing, and a lot of drums, and a lot of dancing, and then they asked me to to preach, and I preached what I thought was like a solid 40-minute sermon. And the conversation afterwards was like, that was it? You only had 40 minutes in you? So like never complain about the length of my sermons, okay? Because they were like used to an hour and a half just like, preach it, brother, keep going. And so 40 minutes was just different, right? They were like, oh, it's over already? We walked eight miles to get here, and that's all you got, brother? Right? Um, years ago, my uh, one of my <clears throat> mentors, and uh, he's a friend as well, he went to New York to go and check out Tim Keller's church in Manhattan. And he went and he said, do you know, uh, as someone from BC, and we do church this way, he says, do you know the word I would use to describe Tim Keller's church service? Boring. He said they played classical music for their worship time. And he's like, but in Manhattan, very well-to-do, you know, uh, high-class, educated people, that's what they enjoyed. So they played classical music. And if you've ever heard Tim Keller preach, he doesn't yell. He doesn't like, he's just very smart. And he just, it's like a lecture and he gives a lecture. And in Manhattan, that works really well. And yet some people would say, you can't play classical music in church. That just seems so wrong and, and on and on and on. Actually, with the the uh, the power of YouTube, you can watch church services from all over the world. And some of them, you're like, really? That's Some I watched. I'm like, that's church? The pastor's ziplining into the stage or whatever. And you're like, goodness gracious. Or I, I saw one and he had a trampoline on stage. And it was like a connection to his point in the sermon. So there's stuff that we go like... Is that really church? Are there things biblically, like criteria, that would say you you must do this when you gather? Let me tell you what the gatherings in Corinth were like. Um, From everything that we've read so far in Paul's response to this messy church, uh, I would describe their gatherings as chaotic. Just a mess. Right? They, They would come together and at their potlucks, the rich People were eating all the food and some were getting drunk and they weren't sharing and looking after those who were, who were poorer in the church. And then, especially in this section, in chapters 12, 13, and 14, as they were using their gifts, it became, their gatherings became, how can I show people how spiritual I am? And what we're going to emphasize in our gatherings is speaking in tongues, Because that's the most spiritual thing that you can do. And so what we read from Paul is that everyone was trying to speak in tongues at the same time. And it was chaos and no one knew what was happening. So Paul has been correcting a a wrong view of spiritual gifts. Right, we've seen that it was about one-upmanship. It was it was about how can I show everyone how gifted I am, and I'm not doing it to edify the church. I'm doing it so that everyone looks at me. Now, here's why Paul is really, really brilliant. He has spent two chapters, um, chapters 12 and 13, and really he's just laid this groundwork by by saying a few things like all the gifts are needed. Um, We're one body us as a church. Really, he's told us last week, just pursue love. That there's a more excellent way to use your gifts, and it's the way of love. And then now, in chapter 14, he offers very specific corrections to the Corinthians' crazy approach, if I'm honest, to their gift of tongues. That's the focus. Their use of tongues in corporate worship was all wrong, and Paul now is going to give some very specific instructions. But I love that he doesn't start with that. He doesn't just hammer them right out of the gate. He lays all this groundwork, and now he hammers them. So what Paul's going to do is, cor- is correct some thinking about prophecy and the gift of tongues. But I actually think more importantly, he's laying out for them, this is what it should look like when you gather, church. So even for us today, right, listen, uh, culture and music and things like that may change. But I think even Paul in chapter 14 is going to give us four things that our gatherings should be and should do. These are four things that we should expect. When we gather together, this is what's going to happen. So number one, uh, which is verses 1 to 5, Paul is going to say that when we gather, our gatherings should edify It's very important. What what should happen when we gather? Well, you and I should be edified. Verse 1, Paul says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, here's the overall focus, right, of this entire chapter, of all the discussion on the use of the gifts. Pursue love. That is what is most important Pursue love. And then he says, desire spiritual gifts. Now, keep in mind, he's he's not saying, because, right, he just spent all of this time saying all the gifts are important. There's not a hierarchy of gifts. So when he says, desire spiritual gifts, what's the context of chapters 12, 13, and 14? When we gather. When the church gathers, you should desire to use your spiritual gifts. And then he says, especially prophecy, which he'll get to in a minute, why that's important. Because remember, some could have responded, as Paul has been teaching, okay, well, Paul, there's just too much wrong with spiritual gifts. We're just not going to use them at all. Right? We've seen they've already done that, right? When Paul earlier had written to them uh, in chapter um, 5, he said, right, I I wrote to you earlier that don't associate with the sexually immoral. And the church had just said, well, that means everybody. Don't talk to anybody in the world. And Paul said, no, you are overcorrecting. What he meant was, right, a brother or a sister who claims to follow Jesus and they live a sexually immoral life, don't associate with them. So you can see that the church might have responded like that. Paul's giving all of these uh, cautions around spiritual gifts, and it's like the, the, Cor- the Corinthians could have said, well, fine, we just won't use our gifts then. And Paul says, no, when you gather, desire the gifts. Use them. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So, couple of thoughts that we have to just kind of all uh, repeat and remind us about what, what exactly is speaking in tongues and what is prophecy. There's an aspect of speaking in tongues, tongues that Paul seems to suggest here that there, it's a, a, a private prayer and worship time. There seems to be an aspect of the gift of tongues that when the individual is speaking in a language they do not understand... They are speaking to God. They're not speaking to anyone else. Paul talks about, you know, they're uttering mysteries in the spirit, meaning they don't understand what they're saying because they don't speak the language that they're using. But what does it do? We're told that it actually builds up the individual, right? It it edifies them. It edifies their spirit. The spirit's built up even though they don't know what is being said. There's an aspect of this gift, That is for self-edification. I had a conversation with someone this week um, that uh, has the gift of tongues. And for them, primarily, it is a private thing that they pray uh, to God and they worship God in a language they don't understand. And I asked them, does it edify your soul? And they said, oh, yeah. Like, you know, I don't even understand how. But the Spirit edifies me. And then I asked, well, are you in full control? Oh, yes, of course. It's not ecstatic muttering and things you know. It's not just stringing random syllables together and out of control. They are in control, and yet it's a gift that the Spirit's give, given them, and it edifies their own soul. So do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, the reason that you shouldn't do that in the gathering is because no one understands what you're saying. So you may be edified, but no one else is. So then he says, prophecy, on the other hand speaks to people and it builds them up and it encourages them and it consoles them so again just a word about prophecy we have i think seen the abuse of the prophetic gift and i think lots of people then just kind of shy away and they go well if that's what it is i don't want anything to do with it so listen there are no capital p prophets there is no one today living that can stand up and say, I am a prophet of God, thus saith the Lord. That doesn't exist anymore. Because scripture tells us, Hebrews 1, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to us through the prophets. But now, in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Jesus was the last prophet. He fulfilled that role. So, we don't need people who say, I prophesy that Trump will win the election. That's not a thing anymore. So, the gift of prophecy is when the Holy Spirit prompts you to go to someone and give them a word of encouragement, like it says right here, or something to upbuild them, or encourage them, or console them. And I gave examples before of how that happens when all of a sudden you're like, why is this individual on my brain and why do I feel like I have to go and encourage them in their walk with Jesus? I think that's because you've been given a a word to share with them. So notice what Paul's saying. He's saying when the church gathers, what is the purpose? The first big purpose is our gatherings should edify each other. Speaking in tongues doesn't edify anyone but the individual. Now, we're, we'll read verse 5 in a minute because there's a caveat to that. So he's not, he's not bashing the gift of tongues, but he's saying when you gather, do you know what edifies way more? The gift of prophecy. When you share words of encouragement and upbuilding and consolation with each other. I think there's an aspect of uh, the, the prophetic that's in the preaching of the word. We'll get to that in, in, a, in a little bit. But Paul says focus on that because that edifies the body. Verse 5, he says, now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church, there's the word, may be built up, may be edified. That's the goal when we gather. We want to be edified. Now, when Paul says in verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues, uh, Paul earlier said, does everybody speak in tongues? No, no. So what does he mean? The hard part is, is that that Greek word, uh, that phrase, I want you, uh, that one Greek phrase can actually mean four different things in the Greek language. It can either mean, I want you to speak in tongues, it can mean I would like you to speak in tongues, it can mean I am willing that you speak in tongues, and it can mean I'm happy for you when you speak in tongues, So like confused, yeah, totally. Greek is a terrible language, right? It's like that one phrase can mean all sorts of different things. So you have to weigh verse 5 with what Paul's already said. Paul already said, no, not everybody speaks in tongues. So what I think he's saying is when you gather, sure, speak in tongues. That's fine. But it would be a lot better if you prophesied. Because prophecy brings understanding and strengthening to the church. Now, if there's someone who can interpret, and right, we talked about this, if someone stood up and doesn't know Mandarin and began to to speak in Mandarin, and then someone on the other side of the church goes, wait a second, I don't know Mandarin either, but for some reason I can translate that. Paul says, if that kind of stuff happens, praise God. But don't let speaking in tongues be the focus. Because by and large, speaking in tongues does not edify the church. And the focus when we gather is that we would be edified. We want to grow. We want to be built up. We want to be consoled and encouraged. So Paul's, Paul's already correcting them a little bit. You're focusing on the wrong thing. And it's like the thinking would be, but speaking in tongues is so spiritual. And it's showing everyone how spiritual we are. And Paul says, but it's accomplishing nothing. We want to be edified. <clears throat> So that's a thing to think about as we keep moving forward. When we gather together, like when you get ready on a Sunday morning to come to church, is your thought, I'm coming and I, I'm ready to be edified. Right? I don't I'm not here to be entertained. I'm not here to have my needs met, and I hope we sing the songs that I like, and I hope there's kids' zone, and blah blah blah. When you, when you get ready to come to church, your thought should be, I want to be edified this morning. I want to be built up. I want to be encouraged and challenged and consoled. That, that's one thing that needs to happen when we gather. Our gatherings should edify. Number two, our gatherings sh- should be understandable. So verse 6, Paul says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So what what he's going to do is give a whole bunch of examples now of why speaking in tongues should not be the priority when we gather. He says, if I come, like can you imagine if I'm the preacher and I come to church and I stand up and then my whole sermon I just speak in tongues, you would all sit there going, well, I'm not getting anything out of this. Well, Andrew's pretty spiritual because he preached a 40-minute sermon in tongues. Great. Did you learn anything? No. So Paul's like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't benefit you at all if, if I came to you and I just spoke in tongues for an hour. That would be actually very selfish of me. Verse 7, he says, If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Right? How can an instrument make music? if it doesn't actually play notes. Um, a few years ago, I think someone that hated us gave our kids recorders as presents, which I'm like, why, why would you punish us? But they don't know how to play recorder, so it's just, ma, ma, beep, boop, 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 and it's just, it's awful, that's what Paul's getting at. Right, you have an instrument that's beautiful, and it can play music, but if you don't know how to play it, it's pointless. So, right, if I speak in tongues, then look how great I am. It's just a recorder in people's ears, right? It's not helping anyone. Uh, Verse 8, here's another example. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who's going to get ready for battle? Right, so if you have that, charge, right, and we all go, and we all know. But he's like, if your bugle boy just stands up, he's like, No one knows. Is that charge? Is that retreat? We don't know what's going on, right? So he's saying, if you use your gift of tongues and no one knows what's happening, no one understands. Verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning, But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Right? So Paul's saying, he's using the examples of all these different types of languages. They're great. Like if you can speak French and Spanish and whatever, it's great if other people know that language. Right? But if I just walk around and I come to church and I speak in French and I refuse to speak a language that's understandable to everyone, Paul's saying... It doesn't benefit the listener because they don't know the language. Verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Again, it's not wrong to want to see manifestations of the Spirit and see gifts being used, but he says the goal is that you strive to excel in building up the church. Um, Verse 13, he continues on this, this point of understandability. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying there's this aspect of speaking in tongues, like I said earlier, when you are praying and praising the Lord, and your spirit is being edified, and your mind doesn't understand the words you're saying. He's saying, great. If you want to do that, you're praying in a tongue, your spirit is praying, your mind is not understanding what you're praying. So he says, what am I going to do then? Well, in the gatherings then, Paul says, I'm going to pray with my spirit and pray with my mind. Meaning, I'm just going to pray. I'm not going to pray in tongues. And I'm going to sing praise with my spirit and with my mind. So do you see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying that the gift of tongues, hey, praise God. But when you gather, you should stop thinking about yourself and think about other people. I'm not going to use my gift this morning. It edifies me, praise God, but it helps nobody else, right? He says, otherwise, as you're praying in the spirit, someone can't say, hey, amen to that because they don't know what you're saying. They don't understand it. And the other person isn't being built up. So then in verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Isn't Paul great because the Corinthians are trying to be so spiritual? And Paul's like, yeah, I speak in tongues more than any of you. But notice what he says. But when we gather, I would, I would rather just say five words that you can understand than 10,000 words in a tongue. Meaning, what is most important? That people understand the message. Right, Paul says, "I could stand up and speak in tongues in the gatherings, but I choose not to, because it doesn't build anyone up. Paul, like, would rather just give a five-word sermon, and that would actually be more beneficial to the body than people saying, "I'm going to talk in tongues for an hour." This is like really key for us, um, <clears throat> that our gatherings, Paul says, would be understandable. That's a key thing. Like, talk about, uh, who cares about style of music? Who cares about how long our services are? Who cares about how short they are? Paul says they should edify, number one, and they should be understandable. You should understand what's going on. Now, it's interesting, when I watch lots of different church services and lots of sermons, here's what I often see. I often see churches that look like Corinth in the bad way. That are trying, I think, to show how spiritual they are, but no one understands what's going on. Like, I see lots of services and lots of gatherings when someone on stage will just say, okay, uh, let's, you know, the Spirit's here, the Spirit's moving, let's all speak in tongues at the same time, and it just becomes chaos. I, I think Paul would say, stop doing that. It doesn't benefit anyone. Um, Even, I I see lots of times, I I call them word salad preachers, uh, because a lot of times they'll say things, and as I'm listening, I'm like, but okay, what what exactly are they saying? They're actually not saying anything. They just sound very, and they use sentences. There's one guy in particular that he uses these kind of long, eloquent sentences that sound very wise, and then he kind of pauses to to wait for the reaction from the, the congregation. And you hear people in the congregation go, whoa, whoa, that was deep. It's like he's not saying anything. And Paul would say, make sure people understand you. What is the point if you gather and everyone goes, man, I didn't understand that. That was just wisdom beyond me. You might as well not have come to church. You weren't edified if you don't understand what's going on. So Paul, he's putting tongues in its proper place. Notice that it's pretty low on the list. Right? It edifies you as the tongue speaker. Great. But it edifies no one else unless someone interprets. So he's like, so keep your mouth shut. Use words that people can understand. So our gatherings must be understandable. Third, our gatherings should be uh, evangelistic. So, verse 20, Paul says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. So the, the Corinthians were thinking very childishly childishly uh, about gifts, about tongues. Well, that makes me the most spiritual, and everyone's going to look at me, and I'm the center of attention. That's a very childish attitude. So, so Paul says, listen, be children when it comes to evil. Like, be innocent. Don't pursue evil. Be, be childish that way. But when it comes to your thinking about the gatherings and about gifts, don't be ch- children in that way. Don't be uh, uh, obsessed with being the center of attention and vain and calling attention to yourself. So then he goes on, verse 21, In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? (laughs) But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul's giving an argument about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy from the perspective of unbelievers. And what he does when he says that in the law it is written, he quotes Isaiah 28 verses 11 and 12. And basically what was happening is Israel refused to hear what God was saying through the prophets. So the prophets stood up and they gave intelligible language that all the people understood to repent, to stop sinning, to turn back to God. And they refused to listen. So then God sent Assyria, speakers of a foreign language... As a sign of judgment. You're not going to listen to when the prophets speak in a language you don't understand. Well, now Assyria is going to come. You won't understand their language, and they're going to wipe you out. It's a, it was a sign of judgment. So what Paul's doing is he's comparing that example and saying tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Now, when we hear the word sign, we automatically think sign in a good way. That's not the word here. It is sign, a, a, a bad sign. Right, you can use both. Right, I'm gonna do uh, Jesus when he does miracles, they're a sign positive, right, that that he is the Messiah, but there's also bad signs signs that God says this is a sign of your judgment. So, tongues, what Paul is saying is, why are tongues a sign for unbelievers, a sign of judgment? Verse 23. Well, if they come into a gathering and tongues are being used in a crazy way out of check, what's going to happen? It will drive unbelievers from the church. They will receive no word from God that way. They will not hear the gospel that way, and they will leave and remain under God's judgment. So Paul says, you're all speaking in tongues and you think it's so spiritual. Actually, it's judgment on unbelievers because they can't understand the gospel. However, prophecy can be beneficial, though, to unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign for believers, a positive sign. Prophecy is meant to be for believers, right? Where we encourage one another and we console one another and we give words from God to people. Great. But there's actually an evangelistic effect of prophecy. Because people will come and it says they will hear The words of God, they will hear the gospel, they will hear things spoken to them, and they will fall on their face and worship God. So when we gather, there should be an aspect of our gatherings where um, we should expect lost people to be saved. Now listen, I know you can go way too far, right? And many of us lived and grew up through the seeker-sensitive movement, which I think is too far Let's just water down the gospel and let's make it entertaining. No, no, of course not. Right? We want to be edified. We want to be understandable. But the gospel should be presented every Sunday. Right? The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A through Z, it's all of it. And it should be presented in a way that is evangelistic so that when a lost person comes in the doors, They hear from God, they're convicted, and they fall on their face and become believers. Um, I'll give you an example of when this happened in our church. Um, Like I said earlier, I think there's an aspect of preaching that is prophetic. I don't think prophecy is only preaching, but years ago... I was preaching a sermon and and sharing the gospel and what it means, and I used an example that was not in my notes of, hey, say that you were the type of person that said a prayer at VBS, and it's been 40 years, and you've wandered away from Jesus, and then God calls you back. And in the congregation that morning, there was someone who that was their exact story. They had said a prayer at VBS. They had wandered away for literally 40 years. 40 years. And then God called them back. That's an example of what Paul's saying. Right now, if I had got up and said, I'm gonna just speak in tongues for the next 30 minutes, that would have benefited no one. That that unbeliever would have said, This place is crazy, and I'm gonna leave. And then they they would remain under God's judgment. So Paul's saying like, focus on prophecy and speaking the word of God because lost people are gonna get saved. Praise the Lord. So our our gatherings should be evangelistic. I mean, we pray, I pray every Sunday, every Sunday. Lord, would you bring lost people here? And even this morning, please, Jesus, save them. And we should expect that. All right, lastly, we're gonna finish the whole chapter, okay? So stay with me. Fourth, right? Our our gatherings should edify, they should be understandable. They should be evangelistic, and lastly, they should be orderly. Verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If you speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, <clears throat> and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy <clears throat> one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So notice that there's, there's order and there's structure to the church gatherings, even in the early church. Man, I've heard so many t- I've had conversations with people so many times that they're like, the, the North American church is too structured, and we plan out our services too much, and there's too much order, and we should just be like the early church where they were just all spirit led. Do you see what Paul's saying? You each stand up one at a time, and if you don't have an interpreter, sit down and don't speak in tongues, and you prophesy one at a time and then you give time like there's there is so much structure and order in the new testament gatherings i love that it, there's a, this expectation that you come to church to offer something not to be a consumer isn't that great Man, oh man, we need that. Because by and large, in North America, we just go from church to church to church and consume what we like. I like the music here. I don't like the kids program here. I didn't like the speaking here. Blah, blah, blah. Notice what Paul says. When you come to the gathering, you're coming with the expectation of, I'm going to give something to this gathering. Now, I don't think you should all stand up and do a solo, okay? Times have changed. (laughs) I have a song that I'd like to sing for everyone. Well... But right, there's like, I'm going to bring a lesson. I'm going to bring a, an encouragement for someone. I'm going to bring a, 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 an interpretation. Like, there, there's this expectation that you come to church to do what? To serve. And then it's, it's orderly, isn't it? I love that. Like if people are going to speak in tongues, three people at the most. And not all at the same time. One at a time. And if someone who has the gift of tongues says, I feel like I need to stand up and share this tongue, if there's not an interpreter, have self-control and just sit down. Don't use your gift that that morning then because you're not going to edify the church. And then people who say, I think I have a word from God, which, listen, in the early church was very, very important because they didn't have the Bible Right? And so people would come and say, I think I have a word from God, and, and we're going to share it with people. And then what happens? The church sat around, and the leaders of the church said, Okay, we need to weigh out. Does this line up with the apostles' teaching? Is this, is, is, did that guy just get up and say he had a prophetic word that Jesus isn't God? Yeah, that's, you need to stop. That's not from God, right? And so there was order, and there was a weighing out of what was said. Continuing on, the second half of verse 33. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Just wait. I I felt everyone just tense up. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. What is the context of this chapter, of this specific section? Paul can't say... Cross the board, as soon as a woman comes into the gathering, they're not allowed to say anything. Because in chapter 11, Paul said that women could pray and prophesy in the gathering. So is he changing his mind now? No, What's, what's taking place here? What's the context? People are standing up and giving a word of prophecy, and then the leaders of the church are judging what is said. So Paul says, when that's going on, women, you don't need to pipe up and give your opinion. Because the leaders of the church will handle it. Again, think back to chapter 11. God has designed structure and order between men and women in the home and in the church for our flourishing. And so the leaders of the church, the elders, would sit and go, okay, what does this word mean? We need to weigh out what it says. And Paul says in that moment, we don't need every woman saying, I think I know, I think I know. No, they they can just remain quiet. During this time, pray, prophesy in church? Yes, absolutely. But when, it, when it comes to judging the theology of what's presented and the, the direction of the church, well, we should let the leaders of the church do that. <clears throat> then Paul finishes this way He says, Or was it from you, verse 36, that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it's reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize, it, recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So Paul ends by saying, uh, he's showing his authority as he writes these things. Right, he's saying, "Is okay, is it the word of God that came to you corinthians he's like no it came to me because i'm an apostle right he says i what i'm writing you is is not just my thoughts he says it's a command of the lord and if you don't recognize it then you're not recognized so paul's saying again like the the instructions that he's giving they're from god so the church should then obey them and I love that he wraps up the whole section. He says, you, should got, you guys should desire to prophesy, meaning you should be so walking with the Spirit that when the Spirit nudges you to share something with someone else, you should desire that. You should desire, like I've, I've tried to start actually listening to the Holy Spirit more because there's lots of times when you kind of get this nudge where you're like, I feel like I need to go talk to that person and, encouragement, and encourage them, and then my flesh goes, that's weird, don't do that, that's awkward. And I think, like, Paul's saying, like, you should desire to walk with the Spirit that when you hear this kind of prompting to go and share and encourage with someone, do it. then he says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Again, there's this balance, right? Paul says, as far as when we gather, where's speaking in tongues on the list? Like, it's down here. But don't forbid it. But then overall, he says, everything should be done decently and in order. Again, I think we need to hear this because I've had lots of conversations with people who who have said, like, man, if we plan our services and if you uh, plan a a sermon, then you're not relying on the Spirit. You're not being Spirit-led, which according to Paul is just trash. That's not true. Like, I remember having a conversation a few years ago with a few pastors, and it was kind of like, well, what does your week look like? And I told them, I spend probably 15 to 20 hours every week researching, praying, and writing a sermon. And these two pastors said, What? You spend half of your week just writing a sermon? And then one said, I just kind of put something together on Saturday night and let the spirit lead. But listen, it's not, it's not more spirit-led to be unprepared. It's just not. Like Paul, Paul says, like, come with a plan. Follow these orders. Two or three. Do this. Weigh that out. And, and Paul's not saying, oh, and this will quench the spirit if we have a plan. No, our gatherings should be orderly. We should plan them out. We should do things that help edify, that help uh, make it understandable, that help m- make it evangelistic, like, have order and structure. It doesn't mean it's not spirit led. So I know that was a lot, right? A whole chapter, 40 verses. But the reason that we did it all together is because I think Paul, he's really zeroing in on what should happen when we gather as a church. And yes, he's correcting some some falsities about speaking in tongues and prophecy, but, but I think what he's actually zeroing in on is what do we do when we gather? And listen, again, like church gatherings across time and culture and backgrounds, of course they look different. There are different lengths of time, and we sing different, and we dress different, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think Scripture would say every time the church gathers, we should strive for edification. Like, I don't, I don't want to waste your time. Like, I think about that often. Are we just wasting our time? Like, I want you to be edified. As your pastor, I want you to leave looking more like Jesus, right? That we would be edified, all of us. That we would strive to make our services and our gatherings understandable. That anyone who comes in doesn't leave going, man, I'm confused about what happened. That our our gatherings would be evangelistic. That we would hear the gospel week after week after week after week about what Jesus has done for us. How you can be saved. And listen, I've seen it multiple times. When a lost person comes and the Lord saves them on a Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. And our our services should be, be orderly and structured so it it lends to the other three so when you come to gather <clears throat> this is part of application and reflection do you come expecting to be edified like right when you're when you're getting ready for church do you come saying man I want to walk out of the church changed or do you come to be entertained which I think lots of us, including myself, we're guilty of that sometimes. And we go, I just didn't like the worship this morning. Well, good. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> right? But we do that, don't we? We do that. I don't like it this morning. It was too loud. It was too quiet. I didn't like it. Like my kid, There's no kid zone. I don't like it. Like, do you come on a Sunday where you go, man, I am excited to be edified. I, wanna, I want my heart to be changed. Do you come expecting, like, I'm going to understand everything that's going on. I'm going to grow in my, in my walk with Jesus. Do you come inviting lost people that you're like, I'm just expecting that you're going to get saved this morning? So I think Paul would say, use your gifts. Absolutely. We need the gifts when we gather. But I think he would say, but, but keep the main thing the main thing. In your pursuit of the gifts, don't get distracted And think that if we use these flashy gifts, we'll be more spiritual. He says, no, keep the main thing the main thing, which is the gospel, which is Jesus crucified and resurrected from the dead. Keep that the main thing because that's what edifies us. That's what draws lost people. So would that be the main thing when we gather? So Father, I'm just so grateful for your word. I thank you for how applicable it is. Um, Jesus, it's even interesting preaching on a a passage that tells us what to do when we gather, (laughs) as we gather. So I just pray, God, that even this morning that we would have been edified through witnessing baptisms, through singing, through praying, through fellowship, through the exhortation of your word, God. I pray that our hearts would be edified God, I pray that the things that we do on Sunday mornings would be understandable. I pray that lost people would be drawn to come and and that, Holy Spirit, you would be the one that saves them. I pray that the the way that we gather, it would have order and structure to it so that we can focus on the things that matter. So, God, I I know, listen, I know that there are so many differences of opinions about the gifts, and, and I think that's fine. But above all, God, I pray that we would keep the main thing the main thing. So, God, would you just continue week after week to edify us? Um, Jesus, I'm just so conscious every week. I don't want to waste our time. I don't want to just entertain people. Even if we could leave one degree closer to looking like Jesus... God, would you just, by your spirit, allow that to happen? So I just pray that even our attitudes would change as we attend our gatherings, as we attend church. God, convict us if our attitudes are are all wrong. I pray that we would come with an expectation to serve and to give, not just to consume. I pray that we would come with an expectation that, man, our hearts are going to be challenged and encouraged and we're going to grow and be edified God, I I pray that that we would come with the right kind of attitude and longing uh, each and every Sunday. So just do your work in our hearts, God, and convict us and help us to repent if we need to of different things. And so we just give you all the praise and glory for our gathering, Jesus, and we just pray this in your mighty name. Amen.